Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and look with me to the Gospel Record of Luke. The Gospel Record of Luke in chapter number 23. The Gospel Record of Luke chapter 23. We love for people to look for themselves and to see what the Word of God says because it's God's Word that's important, not mine. Well, we've been walking through the Gospel Record of Luke as we've been observing the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ has been portrayed through the Gospel Record of Luke. As a reminder, the Gospel Record of Luke was written by Dr. Luke, who was a medical doctor, who used his research skills that while the Apostle Paul was in jail in Caesarea, that the Apostle, or that Luke went and interviewed as many people as he could, whether it was Mary, the mother of Jesus, whether it was the apostles, whether it was some of the people around, and he tried to do as much as he could to talk to the witnesses, to collaborate stories, and then he put it together as a research project, and that's why the Gospel record of Luke has more details than the rest of the Gospel records. Well, as we've been traveling through, we're at the very end. Jesus Christ has already spent the last hours with his disciples. He has already been praying at the Garden of Gethsemane. There he was arrested, and he was brought back to Jerusalem, put on a false trial, and the last time we met, we we explained all the reasons that it was an illegal trial according to their laws. And yet they convict, convicted and condemned Jesus Christ anyways. The problem was is that the, G, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, did not have the legal means to, um, to see capital punishment. In order for someone to be killed legally, they had to turn it over to the legal authorities, which would be the Roman government. And that's what we find here in the gospel record of Luke chapter number 23, as the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Hebrew people, have now delivered Jesus Christ to the Roman governor who was Pilate at the time. Let's read this story together. Notice with me in the gospel record of Luke chapter 23. And notice with me starting at verse number 1. The gospel record of Luke chapter 23 and verse 1. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him, that's Jesus, unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priest and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place." When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was 
at Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he hath heard many things of him, and hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he, Herod, questioned him, Jesus, in many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priest and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught, and mocked him, and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priest and the rulers of the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof ye accuse him." No, no, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him. And lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas who for a certain sedition made in the city, and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And he said unto them the third time, Why? What evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him, and let him go." And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and the chief priest prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them that for sedition and murder was cast in prison whom they had desired. But he delivered Jesus to their will. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 23? The gospel record of Luke chapter 23, and notice with me at the end of verse number 1, where it says this phrase, led him unto Pilate. That him, of course, is Jesus. Led him unto Pilate. And with this, we see this biblical historical account, Jesus before Pilate. Jesus before Pilate. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you and tackle and observe this historical account, that we could see what is going on and see the choice that the people made. And Lord, that you would help us to make the right choice of ourselves. I'm asking that you would just do a work here. We're thankful for everyone that's here today and everyone that's listening online. And we're asking that you would do a work in all of our hearts to draw us closer to you. And Lord, I know that it's not me and can't be my oratory skills, my intellect, my goals. I give that all to you, Lord. I'm nothing. I'm a sinner saved by grace. 
It's you and you alone that needs to work so the best I know how. I surrender my lips, my tongue, my thoughts, my speech, my voice. I give them all to you and ask that you use them as you see fit. Please fill me with your precious spirit and you do your own work and get it accomplished through your word tonight. Thank you that we could trust you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we examine this historical passage, let's tackle it. And the first thing that we want to observe is the examination before Pilate. The examination before Pilate. Notice what it says. <laughs> and the whole multitude of them. Who's the them here? The them is the Sanhedrin. In the previous chapter at the very end, they had arrested the Lord Jesus Christ. They had put him on a false trial. And during this false trial, they finally found Jesus guilty of the blasphemy. That Jesus was, according to them, had declared himself to be God. Now, we're going to see that a different charge is going to be made. But what had happened is that they had this illegal trial. Now they have to get Pilate, the Roman governor's approval, in order for Jesus to be put to death. They couldn't do that themselves. They didn't have the legal authority to do so. So they grabbed Jesus after this illegal trial. Remember, it's now about 6 o'clock in the morning. It's pretty early. Jesus has been awake all night. He has been praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was praying so fervently and so heatedly that the capillaries inside of his skin have burst. And he was uh, sweating great drops of blood. He's already beginning to develop the stages of dehydration. He has been offered no food, no drink, and he has had no rest. And now being found guilty, this group now leads Jesus Christ to Pilate, who is now beginning his official day of business, the very first thing is they kind of swarm Pilate. And let's pick up what happens. Verse number two. And they begin to accuse him, Jesus, saying, We have found this fellow perverting the nation. Notice this. They had originally found Jesus guilty of blasphemy. But when they go up to Pilate, they say, This man has perverted the people. Why? What is he doing? And forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. So they said, This man here is saying, We shouldn't obey Caesar. Well, if you remember just a couple passages before, they asked Jesus that should they give tribute to Caesar? Jesus said, Give me a penny. All right, whose subscription, whose face is on here? They said, Caesar, all right? Well, then give the things to Caesar that Caesar and give the things to man to man. But now they're saying, Jesus is saying he's been teaching everyone not to obey Caesar. That's a lie. Then it said that he himself is Christ. That word Christ remembers the same word Messiah. This is someone who's claiming to be the Messiah, a king. What he's trying to do is get people to follow him. He's going to establish his new kingdom and he's claiming he's going to overthrow Rome. Well, if you remember, the people have been wanting Jesus to do that and he's been telling them over and over, no, that's not what I'm here to do. That's what I'm trying to do at all. And so here, the Sanhedrin have purposely lied to Pilate about Jesus. So who is this Pilate? As the Sanhedrin, these Pharisees and the religious rulers are making their case, they're talking to Pilate, who is this Pilate? 
Pilate had high connections in Rome. He had been nominated to governorship by Sejanius, a powerful man who stood beside Tiberius, who was the emperor at the time, the emperor of Rome, and was the one who directed his power. So basically, one of the people who pulled the strings of the Roman emperor had liked Pilate, and so through um, this connection... Pilate was given a governorship. Inside of Rome, up to move up the status, you have to be a ruler over something for a while. Well, Pilate said, this is my way to step into higher society. And so I'll go ahead and take this governorship. And they gave him the governorship of Judea. Pilate's wife was Claudia, uh, Claudia uh, Procula, who was a granddaughter of of Augustus Caesar, of Octavius Caesar. So actually a direct relative of Julius Caesar. That's Pilate's wife. So here is someone who has very deep connections with a lot of things within Rome. Now, Pilate had no love for the Jews. He hated his posting. He hated the Jewish people. You see, the Jewish people, because of Herod the Great, had been exempted from a lot of the Roman policies. And the rest of the Roman Empire, all of the people were required from time to time to worship Caesar as God. Well, the Jewish people didn't have to do that. In addition, the Jewish people hated the Roman government because they were never conquered. Someone just sold their land to them and the Roman government came in and said, Hey, congratulations, we own you. And they go, how'd this happen? Because of that, they hated it. And so when Pilate gets here, he meets these Jewish people, sees that they're not lovers of Rome, and he's a great Roman. They hated Caesar, and he loves Caesar. He, uh, they hated the policies of Rome, and they're exempt from all these taxes. They're exempt from worship. These are the heathen backwater people who don't know what's good for them. Pilate hated them, and he specifically disliked Caiaphas, uh, Caiaphas and his crowd. Remember, Caiaphas is the high priest. So when these people come to Pilate, this is a big deal, because they know Pilate hates them. And yet, they're coming anyways to try to convince Pilate to hate Jesus along with them. Now, according to the Gospel record of John, Jesus was escorted by a Ro Roman tribune. A tribune is a commander of a thousand men. Now, this is a big deal. The Sanhedrin was afraid that Jesus would do his miracle power to escape or cause a revolution. So, they had convinced this triune who's a who's a commander of a thousand men, to make sure Jesus was well guarded. They knew Jesus had miracle power, so they wanted to make sure there was enough soldiers to tackle him, to take him down if he tried to do a miracle. To try to make sure that he was going to be contained. To make sure that the people who loved Jesus wouldn't try to rise up and try to free Jesus. Now, what's interesting is the tribune would be the only other Roman of Pilate's social class within Jerusalem. Meaning Pilate was stuck there with all these heathens and the only person he had that was of the same status. Remember, in America we're not used to class status. But in the other parts of the world, like England, class status is a very big deal. And in Jerusalem and the Roman era, class status was everything. So Pilate and this guy are the only people there that are the same class. Everyone else is below them. So for Pilate, he knows this guy. And when he sees that the, the Sanhedrin have convinced this other guy, this makes more of an impact. Now the chief priests have delivered Jesus to Pilate. They've already changed the... the, uh, the, the <laughs> 
charged to sedition. And now they're trying to convince him that Jesus wants to overthrow the government. Let's read this on. Verse number 3. And Pilate asked him, Jesus, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he, Jesus, answered him and said, Thou sayest it. By the way, that's the same thing he told the Sanhedrin. They said, Are you God? You say I am. Well, listen. Are you the Christ? You say I am. So when Pilate says, Hey, are you a, the king of the Jews? You say I am. Jesus is just now defaulted. They're not going to listen anyways. All right, you say I am. So notice what Pilate does in response. Verse 4. Then said Pilate to the chief priest and of the people, I find no fault in this guy. Now Pilate had already seen people before stand before him that were going to be sentenced to death. He has seen people beg. He's seen people plead. He's seen people get angry. He saw people cry. But this confidence and having no fear was a different response. You say that I am. You're not crying. You're not pleading for your life. You're not trying to get a bribe. Just no fear. Pilate turns around and says, I find no fault in this guy. He doesn't act guilty. He doesn't act like a criminal. He doesn't act like someone worthy to death. What are you doing? He's not worthy of anything. I find no fault in this guy. What Pilate should have said was case dismissed. He should have said, you know what? We're done with this. This is foolishness. Go home. But notice what the Sanhedrin do. And they were the more fierce. Now that's some powerful language. They bared their fangs. So Pilate, who is technically the Roman governor said, I don't find any fault in this. And the Sanhedrin bared their fangs and said, listen here, he is guilty to die. You better sentence him to death. Nothing like pressure. They hate Jesus so much that they are basically threatening a Roman governor right now in order to get Jesus to death. They were the more fierce. This is a very powerful phrase. This idea is that they are saying, listen here, he deserves to die. You better put him to death. You find some way to do this. This is some big deal here. Notice as it goes on. They were the more fierce, saying, he stirreth up the people, teaching them throughout Jewelry, beginning from Galilee to this place. Listen, he is stirring up people. You need to do something with them, and you need to do something with it now. What this does is give Pilate a legal loophole. He wants to let Jesus go, but the Sanhedrin are now threatening him. When he hears he's from Galilee, he goes, cha-ching, wait a second, Herod the son of Herod the Great, rules over Galilee. And it just so happens because of the Passover meal, all good Jewish people are here in Jerusalem. Hey, let's him, it's his jurisdiction. Let's pass the buck. Let's get this over with. And he's thinking, let's solve this. He knows that Herod the Great has already killed John the Baptist. Let's kill him. Jesus too. My hands are clean. The Jewish people are happy. Let's do this. Let him deal with it. Notice this. Verse 7. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was at Jerusalem at that time. Pilate's thinking, I'm glad this is over with. What a morning. It just started. I get bombarded. I pass this off. I'm good. Whew. That's rough. Politics. But I danced around it. Good. Then we see the silence before Herod. 
So now they go and haul Jesus before Herod. Notice in verse 8. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. Some people came, Herod, can you hear a case today? You know what day it is? Yeah, but they have Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Well, let's make an exception. I want to hear about this guy. Why did he want to hear about Jesus? When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season. Man, I wanted to meet Jesus for a long time. This is great. What a wonderful day. Because he hath heard many things of him, Jesus, and he, Herod, hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. What Herod wanted was some parlor tricks. He wanted to be entertained. He had heard Jesus do all kinds of miracles. I wonder if he'll do a trick before me. Oh, I can't wait. Maybe he'll raise someone from the dead. Oh, man, is there anyone sick here? Hey, Jesus is coming. He's wondering, can I see Jesus do a miracle? Can I see him do a trick? Can I do something? Herod had no desire to hear what Jesus had to say. He just wanted to see Jesus do a trick. So, finally, he questioned him, verse number 9. And then he questioned with him in many words. So Herod's yakking on, asking questions, but he, Jesus, answered him nothing. Nothing. Herod's answering questions and Jesus just staring at him. Herod's asking more questions, Jesus saying nothing. Now again, Herod's not used to this either. He's used to, he's the king. People, they ask a question, they answer. Here's someone just staring at him, doing nothing. Why isn't Jesus speaking? Well, because Herod went and listened to John the Baptist. And if he wouldn't listen to John the Baptist, he's not going to listen to Jesus. Why should Jesus waste his words on someone who's not going to listen? Herod just wanted to see a trick. He didn't want to hear any religious talk. He didn't want to hear about salvation. He definitely didn't want to be told he was a sinner. We saw what happened to John when that happened. But notice... The Pharisees won't leave him alone. Verse number 10. And the chief priest and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Now before they were the more fierce. Now they are vehemently. This is with a loud voice with poison yelling. Now here's the scene. Herod is trying to talk to Jesus. And Jesus isn't saying a word. At the very same time, the chief priests are yelling the entire time. Could you imagine how aggravating it is? The person he wants to speak won't speak. And the people he doesn't want to hear from won't shut up. And after being aggravated by these guys and aggravated that he won't say anything, Herod's just now, shut up, stop, talk, do something. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. It's now about 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning. I've had enough. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. Verse number 11. Herod with his men of war. These are soldiers who have been in combat before. They're not decorations. These are people who have seen combat. These men of war set him, Jesus, at naught and mocked him. And arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him away again. So Herod said, fine, you won't talk. Let's do this. So he took his men of war and said, all right, boys, have some fun. So what they did is they blindfolded Jesus. And they allowed Jesus to walk through this, this 
um, line of soldiers. And as he walked through, the soldiers would take their fist and bash him in the face. And as they would lead Jesus through, they'd say, who hit you? Huh? Who hit you? If you're God, you know everything. Who hit you? They began to abuse Jesus quite badly. Then to mock Jesus even more, they put on a gorgeous robe, a purple robe. A purple robe is a very expensive robe, uh, robe, especially back then. And it was one that denoted status, privilege, and rulership. Here, he's a king. Let's dress him like a king. Everyone, put him on. And then they led Jesus, whose now face is starting to puff up, bruised, battered. They take Jesus in this robe that makes him look like royalty. And they drag him before everyone back to Pilate. Herod says, I'm done. Done with him. It's all I want. He decided to mock Jesus and said, forget this. But there was a byproduct. Notice in verse 12. And the same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together. For before, they were enmity with each other. Pilate hated Herod. Herod hated Pilate. But guess what? Some good thing came out of it. Now they're friends. That's a good ending of the story, right? The two bad guys agreeing together. (laughs) What were they agreeing together? They hated the priest. And they didn't find anything wrong with Jesus. So now, what are we going to do? So they bring him back to Pilate. Pilate, I'm sure he was so glad to have them come back. He's got to deal with this. All right. What did Herod say? Well, Herod said he didn't find anything wrong with him either. Well, why is he back with me? Herod didn't want to let him go free. In fact, Herod made fun of him so that way the priests were happy. But what are you going to do about it? Poor Pilate. Now we come to this. The choice between Jesus and Barabbas. The choice between Jesus and Barabbas. Notice with me in verse 13. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priest and the rulers of the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof ye would accuse him. So Pilate looks over and says he's not guilty. Herod looked at him. Pilate looked at him. He's not guilty. You know if Pilate had released Jesus right then and there, Herod would have been gone down in history as a great hero. But he didn't want to make a decision. He wanted the Jewish people to be happy with him. So I've got to do something. So this is his plan. Verse 15. Nor yet Herod... For I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. Now, this is a big deal. When he says chastise him, this is what's going to happen. In the Roman world, they would have a, 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 a type of punishment called scourging. And in order to be scourged, they had a special whip that was like a cat of nine tails. It was a whip that had nine straps on it. And at the end of the straps, they would have hooks like rocks or glass or metal or something at the very end of it. And it was made so they would take that lash and they would whip it across the bare back of a victim. The hooks and the glass or whatever they were, they were made out of 
for that particular scourge would actually pierce into the skin and drag alongside of it. The first century historian Josephus said, after one lash, you could take your finger and actually touch the bone of the victim being hit. For the Romans, they would take that lash and they would beat. And they would beat. And they would beat. Until Jesus' back looked like hamburger meat. Pilate did this for a reason though. What was the reason? Why did Jesus get beat like this? Verse 16, I will therefore chastise him and release him. The purpose was, is that when Jesus came in, his back is all cut up. It is all bruised. It is bleeding all over. You could see his bones. You could look at it just oozing blood. Now at this time, Jesus was already dehydrated because of the loss of blood earlier in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now he is just draining blood. They bring Jesus bloodied and battered back to the Sanhedrin. Pilate had this in mind. That they would see the blood of Jesus. They would see this man who's been just beaten to almost death. And they would look at him and their bloodthirst would go away. That was his plan. He was hoping to save Jesus' life by giving Jesus this scourging. You say, well, that's not a nice way of going. He could have just said, let him go. But he still wanted to make the Sanhedrin happy. He wanted the priest to be happy. And he wanted to try to save Jesus' life. So this was his compromise. He said, there's no way after looking how at this person. I mean, if we saw someone like this in our own eyes, we would definitely feel sympathy. It's like looking at a bad car accident where you could see bones hanging out and you could see blood gushing all over and see you would look and instantly have emotion, revulsion. You would look at it and you don't want to look anymore. It's kind of like where you have to look, but you don't want to look anymore. He was hoping that this blood and gore would satisfy them. And they would say, all right, we're done. We're done. He's suffered enough. He's, we're, we're done. That was Pilate's hope. So is the Sanhedrin going to behave like they're supposed to? Well, verse 17 explains what's going on. Why did Pilate want to release him? For out of necessity, he, Pilate, must release one of the Jewish prisoners unto them, the Jewish people, at the feast. What had happened is that this had been set up since Rome had been the, the captors, that this is the feast of the Passover, the biggest holiday for the Jewish people. And every year for the Roman government to kind of keep peace with the Jewish people, every year they would let loose a political prisoner. Someone who was put in prison because of something they did to the Roman government. And so... Pilate said here, we'll abuse this guy. This will be the guy I let loose and free. So therefore, I've done my duty. The Jewish people are happy. I've let one of theirs go. Thinking that the rest of the Jewish people would look at Jesus and say, oh no, that's horrible. Let him go. We, 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 you know, these are the same people that had saw Jesus make a triumphant entry a couple days before and saying, sing Hosanna our king. This is our king that has finally come. Pilate is trying to save Jesus' life. So how does it go? And they cried all at once, saying, Away with this man and release unto this Barabbas. 
Now, Barabbas becomes an interesting study of himself. The word Barabbas, his name means son of a rabbi. So, this is someone who comes from a lineage. He is a Jewish people person. His name means a son of a rabbi. Why? Because he was probably a son of a rabbi. A rabbi is a Jewish teacher. This is someone who's very much steeped in Judaism. Someone who knows the law. Interesting enough, Barabbas' given name was Jesus. His name was Jesus Barabbas. And Barabbas was put in prison for political insurrection. Barabbas was part of a group of Jewish people called Zealots. The Zealots' home purpose was to drive Rome away from Judah. So in order to accomplish this, the Zealots would go and assassinate Roman leaders. They would assassinate publicans, tax collectors. They would do everything they could to stir up the people and to stir up a riot. In fact, every year at Jerusalem, because they have so many people that come in for the Passover, they work overtime to try to stir up riots and to stir up crowds and to stir up everything they can. And they caught Barabbas after he killed a Roman official And so he is not very well favored on the political list of Rome. However, as a political prisoner, because he is arrested because he did something for for Rome, they was originally thinking, um, (laughs) uh, the Sanhedrin did their homework and said, we want Barabbas. We want this guy rather than Jesus. You want to take a murderer, an assassin, And take him home and make him a hero rather than Jesus who has done nothing wrong. Yeah, we want Barabbas. So much so they were yelling and they were screaming. We want Barabbas. We want him. Away with Jesus. Crucify him. Notice again in verse 20. And Pilate therefore willing to release Jesus spake unto them again. Verse 19 for Barabbas, by the way, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake unto them again. So Pilate said, wait a second. Jesus has done nothing wrong. He's a murderer. Are you sure you want him? They spoke again and they said, but they cried and said, crucify him. Crucify him. Now, can you see that Pilate is doing everything he can to release Jesus? But he's under this tremendous political pressure that he can't withstand against. Verse number 22. And he said unto them the third time. Now three times he said, what should I do? Should, you know, let's let Jesus go. Why? What evil hath he done? I have found no cause in death in him. And I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices, requiring that he, Jesus, might be crucified. And the voices of them and the chief priest prevailed. And Pilate gave the sentence that it should be as they required. And they released unto him Barabbas, that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired. Notice that phrase, they had desired. But he delivered Jesus to their will. You know what happened? Pilate finally said, listen, I'll give you a choice. Your choice is between Jesus, the one who claims to be the Messiah, the one who's claimed to come as fulfillment of prophecy, the one that claims to be the king of the Jews, the one that's predicted in prophecy to take away the sins of the world, or this Jesus, this Jesus who's a murderer, this Jesus who's 
who try to overthrow the Roman government, this one who stirred up trouble, which Jesus do you want? Which Jesus? Here we have, it's a choice between two Jesus. One was a miracle worker and a healer. The other was guilty of political insurrection and murder. One was good and helpful. The other was evil and selfish. One was perfect with a good testimony. The other to be a sinner to be avoided. So why did they choose Barabbas? Well, you see, we have some insight later on. Later on, the Bible talks about the spirit of of antichrist. That word anti, some people usually put it as against. So they would say the spirit of antichrist is those that are against Christ. What really the word anti means is replacing. And so the spirit of antichrist is a spirit that replaces the Christ of the Bible with a different Jesus. You understand that's what we have today. People today have a different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible. Who is the Jesus of the Bible? The Jesus of the Bible is God robed in flesh. The Jesus of the Bible is the one who died for your sins and mine. The Jesus of the Bible is the one with miracle power rose again the third day. The Jesus of the Bible is God also our judge that one day every single person will have to stand and give an account. Every single person. That's the Jesus of the Bible. The thing is, is that people don't like that Jesus. Because to accept that Jesus is to admit that you're a sinner. And that you've offended a holy righteous God. That accept that Jesus is to, to realize that you deserve to go to an awful place called hell. For you to accept that Jesus is to realize that you cannot do anything to get yourself saved. To get you into heaven to be right with God. To accept that Jesus is also to accept that he is your Lord and your master. And that one day you will have to give an account to him. And people do not like that. So they would rather have a different Jesus. They would have the Jesus of Hollywood. The Jesus who just says, listen, just be nice to everyone and you're fine. They would like to have the Jesus who is not capable of doing all of the work of salvation. They want the Jesus where they get to help them out. They want the Jesus of the gospel song singers who say, listen, everyone's going to heaven. Don't worry about it. People want the Jesus of, <clears throat> of the false religion that says, as long as you do your best, you are going to be fine. People want the Jesus that says, you live your life however you want, God still loves you. You understand that even today, you have to make a choice. Which Jesus do you take? Do you take the Jesus of the Bible or do you take the Jesus of the world? Do you take the Jesus of the Bible? Or do you have the Jesus that you have in your head that makes you feel good about yourself while you go ahead and live up your life the way that you want? You understand the Jesus of the Bible one day is going to give an account of everything you've done in your life, whether good or bad. And you're going to stand before him and give an account. Whereas the Jesus of religion says, listen... As long as you smile and love people, you'll be fine. 
No wonder people want the Jesus of the world. They want the Jesus of religion. And they don't like the Jesus of the Bible. You understand that we may look at this and say, why in the world would the crowd get him bored? Why would they choose Barabbas? The same reason why people will choose the wrong Jesus today. Because they don't want Jesus ruling over them. Why was the Sanhedrin the more fierce? Why were the chief priests more vehement? Why were they so insistent? Because they did not want Jesus to tell them what to do. They did not want the Jesus of the Bible to be their God, to be their master. And so they would rather take a different Jesus. Which brings us up to your choice. You understand that choice 2,000 years ago hasn't gone away. You have to make that choice. Do you choose the Jesus of the Bible? Or do you choose the Jesus of religion? of the world, of Hollywood, of your own making. What do you mean, preacher? Well, first of all, do you recognize that you're a sinner? The Bible says we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. You know, I'm a pastor of a church, but I've told lies. Let's just do a survey. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Well, if you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. You know, I'm a pastor of a New Testament church, but I've disobeyed my folks. Let's do a survey. How many have ever disobeyed your folks before? Raise your hand. Parents are looking, making sure their kids are raising their hand. You see, what we've done is we've all admitted that we're sinners. We have broken God's law. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, in order to be with God up in heaven, the qualification is to be perfect. But every single one of us are not perfect. Every single one of us has sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible goes on to say, for the wages of sin is death. That word wage is a payment. For example, when we go to work, because we work, our wage is money. That's what we get. A wage is a payment. The Bible says, for the wages of sin. Sin is anything that we've done against God. We've all admitted that we're sinners. We have sinned by telling lies. We have sinned by disobeying our folks. And we've done a lot more than that. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. The word death literally carries the idea of separation. For example, if we had a casket here and there would be a body in there, we're, committing, we're conducting a funeral, we would say that person is dead. Why? Because the body is there, but what makes them them is separated out. There is separation. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. And just using logic, you can't set something that's not perfect and place it in a perfect place. Because if you put something not perfect in a perfect place, it would ruin it. It would no longer be perfect. God has to per keep heaven perfect so he can't allow anyone that's not perfect into heaven. Does that make sense? So what happens? If I can't go to heaven, what happens? Well, the Bible describes there's only two places to go when you die. Either a wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. Do you know that God never created hell for a single human to go there? He created hell to punish Satan and his demons. However, man goes there by default because he deserves to be separated from God. For the wages of sin is death. 
You said, preacher, all you're doing is giving me bad news. I know. Here's the good news. The good news is God finished off the verse in Romans 6.23 where he said, For the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God loved us so much that God robed himself in flesh and came down on this earth as the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. Jesus lived his entire life living a perfect life, never telling a lie, never disobeying his folks, never stealing cookies from the cookie jar. He lived his life perfect. So when he died on the cross, he was able to pay for your sins because he didn't have any sins to pay for. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God didn't want to see a single person go to that hell, so he gave it away as a gift. Jesus did all the work. Jesus paid our price. He paid our wage. All we have to do is accept that gift to accept that wage. For example, we have a birthday girl today. And if they were to give her gifts tonight and say, this is your gift, what do they want her to do? Do they want her to say, you know what, I think this is really nice, but I don't feel worthy enough to open it. I'm going to hold it off until I feel more worthy. Is that what people want for her? All right, what if you give her a gift and say, oh man, you paid a lot for it. I could tell, I already know what this is. But I don't feel like I, I can open this up yet. Until I could pay you back, I'm just going to leave it here. Is that what you want? You want her to take it and open it up. You want her to look at it and take it right now. Well, when God gives you a gift, it's the same thing. When you accept that gift, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to pay money to the church. You don't even have to help little old ladies cross the street. Now, all those things are good things and things we ought to do, but those things don't get us to heaven. The only thing that gets us to heaven is that Jesus paid our price and we accept the gift for ourselves. How do I accept the gift? The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How do I accept this? gift by asking Jesus. Telling him that you know that you're a sinner and that he, Jesus is your only hope and will he please save you. And God promised he would. You don't have to have fancy words. There's no secret formula. There's no magical words you have to say. It's with your heart the best you know how asking God to forgive you of your sins. And he promised you he would. Now that's the first choice you have to make. Which Jesus will you take? Will you allow this Jesus, the Jesus who died on the cross, will you allow him to save your sins, forgive you of your sins? Will you be choose him or do you choose a different Jesus? Now, after you accept Jesus as your savior, you still have to make another choice. Which Jesus will you follow? You see, if Jesus is God, then you are commanded to obey his word. To Develop a relationship with him. That's where people have the hard time. Because if Jesus is my God, there are things I can't do in my life. There are places I can't go. There are things I can't watch. But again, you have to choose which Jesus to serve. Because one day, whether you like it or not, you're going to have to face him. Whether you believe him or not, you will have to face him. But you can have the benefits and blessings of God on earth 
by choosing the right Jesus. Now, whereas we can look back in history and say, oh, why didn't they choose Jesus? There are people up in heaven that are looking at you asking the same question. Will you choose the right Jesus? Will you allow him to be your savior? Will you allow the Jesus of the Bible to be your master? Or will you choose a different Jesus? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.